0: What we're doing is for the culture. Like it's not ultimately about, you know, trying to get money. We want to push the track and field culture forward. We want it to be more entertaining. We want to be more fun. We're doing this for the athletes and both being athletes before, we understand those struggles. And I don't know, I'm really big on like I really believe track and field is a stage. It's an amazing sport. But the culture just needs to be continually just needs to be developed and advanced so we can showcase that and that's the mission that's the mission it's not about you know getting subscriptions or anything it's literally like we're really genuine about we just want to push the culture forward and make make track of more of a mainstream sport
1: up everyone that was Aaron Potts I'm your host Mario Fraioli and you are listening to the morning shakeout podcast Aaron and his brother Joshua are the guys behind the running report which is a media outlet produced for the culture and by the culture they also co-host the two black runners podcast where each week they recap the most recent running news host insightful interviews with athletes from across all disciplines of track and field and offer up their perspective on the running world as two black runners in the sport They first came across my radar a few months ago when they interviewed one of my earliest running heroes, Michael Johnson, and I've been following their work ever since. In this conversation, we got into their most recent broadcast work at the KC qualifying meet put on by Trials of Miles Racing and Sidious Mag. They told me how The Running Report and Two Black Runners came to be. What they saw missing from the way the sport was being broadcast and covered, and what changes they'd like to see as it relates to how track and field is packaged and presented. We also talked about the importance of culture and what they mean when they use that word, how they see the running report and two black runners evolving in the future, and a lot more. This episode is brought to you by BOA. BOA partners with leading brands to make the best gear even better. Born from hours of testing and innovation, each BOA fit system configuration features a micro-adjustable dial, super-strong lightweight laces, and low-friction guides, allowing you to perform at your peak with increased connectivity, precision, and control. In partnership with La Sportiva, BOA and their team of biomechanists worked to design a shoe that would improve running efficiency, reduce landing impact, and provide a secure fit on technical terrain. Enter the new La Sportiva Cyclone. Designed to go the distance, the BOA-powered upper provides dialed-in, locked-in, and connected fit for stability and confidence on the trail. Available in men's and women's sizes, every aspect of the shoe is engineered to deliver revolutionary fit and performance on the trail, and was designed and tested in BOA's state-of-the-art performance fit lab to improve running efficiency and reduce landing impact. Boa is exclusively offering four morning shakeout listeners the opportunity to win a free pair of the Cyclone. To enter, head over to boafit.com slash Mario. That's boafi com slash Mario. This episode is also brought to you by Picky Bars. Picky's products are made with real ingredients that I can pronounce and recognize, and there's a peace of mind that comes with not second-guessing what I'm putting into my body. The bars are a go-to for me before a run and even when I'm just out running errands, particularly the Ah Fudge Nuts flavor, and I can't get enough of the PB&J All Day Granola in my yogurt. If you want to try some picky products for yourself while supporting the podcast, go to pickybars.com Mario and enter the code Mario at checkout to save 20% off your purchase of 25 bucks or more. You can also join the Picky Club at that link, which is a subscription service, and save 20% off your first box with the code Mario. Super easy, amazing offer. Take advantage of it while you can at pickybars.com slash Mario. All right, let's get right into this one with the brothers from the same mother, Aaron and Joshua Potts. All right, Aaron Potts, Joshua Potts, a.k.a. Two Black Runners, a.k.a. The Running Report. It's a pleasure to welcome you both to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thanks
2: for having us on. I really do appreciate you, Mario.
0: Yeah, super excited. I've actually listened to this podcast before. Shout out Jesse Williams. I I heard his podcast a while back. So super excited to be on this platform.
1: I'm super excited to have... Both of you. Um, It's funny that you bring up Jesse because he's putting on a big track meet starting tomorrow night, I believe, right in your backyard. I mean, by the time this podcast comes out, that meet will have come and gone. But will you both be there at the track meet put on by Sound Running and Jesse Williams?
0: Yeah, so Joshua's not going to be able to make it as we were talking about off camera. Like he has some stuff going on with his health right now, but he's all good, everybody. But I'll be out there. Yeah, I'll be out there getting some interviews for y'all, so make sure you check those out uh, on the Running Report YouTube.
1: I just watched you guys like two weeks ago. It was the KC qualifier put on by Trials and Miles Racing in conjunction with Sidious Mag. You guys pretty much did all the play-by-play for the Undercard event, and then you were on the sidelines for the track meet itself. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that was the first time either of you or certainly both of you as a duo have like been on the broadcast team for a track meet. And I'd love to understand from the two of you, like what that experience was like.
2: That was surreal. That was a surreal moment. Cause like I have done, I've done, uh, I've never been on like a broadcast, but like in, in high school, like, uh, just, I think just because my coach liked me we had like this middle school track meet and i was like bro like let me get on the mic and and commentate like these these races these little races at the middle school tra- championships so i've done that before and one of my friends who's a coach at the local high school around here he was he also has has let me like do the commentating at some of their uh, league meets and their dual meets so i've done that but like to be like oh, we're on like this setup on like YouTube. Like I'm kind of like channeling my own Otto Bolden and my inner Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler and Mark Jackson, like all of these commentators. Of 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 that I've watched in all different sports. Hold and up. I'm I hate like,
1: to in, I hate <laughs> to interrupt you. It's like my least favorite thing to do. But do you mean like Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler as like the <laughs> pro wrestling commentators? Most most definitely,
2: most ah, definitely. I, love it. I was waiting for a Stone <laughs> Cold to like bust out in the one hundred ten meter hurdles or something for I can like Stone Cold, Stone Cold. I was waiting for like that type of moment, but it didn't happen. But like it was it was surreal. Like they like sit up there. I've always wanted to do like commentating. And for it to come this early, like only being twenty one, and like getting that chance, like that's really cool. And like I remember talking to the guy that was like helping us throughout the thing. He's like, yeah, this is like the same setup that they use during like the world Se- the World Series. Like everybody uses the same setup. So like even though it's at this level, it's it's one step definitely in the right direction. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, and I would say the same. Like it was surreal. Like um our family is just a really big sports family in general track is is that love our dad is a high school coach but yeah we grew up you know like josh was saying watching wrestling hearing jim ross commentate Mm -hmm. watching basketball seeing mark jackson watching football and seeing all the amazing commentators and tnt charles barkley and Shaq. so i was like me going into it i was so hyped like i haven't raced since i'm 26 i haven't raced in like two years like on a Mm -hmm. track But I felt like I was getting ready to go and compete. Like, I was so excited to be out there, had the nerves. And as soon as we started, I was like, this just feels right. Like,
1: Yeah, man, I I get that. I mean, just being a a podcast host, which is not a live broadcast, but I mean, these are all performances, right? Like if you're on the track going to race in 800 or, you know, you're recording a podcast, even if it's not live, or you're on the sidelines or in the broadcast booth of an event, like you're, you're performing, you know, you've got eyes on you, you know, you've got ears on you. And I think that, I mean, I don't know the physiology of it, but it definitely like, it creates something in your body, right? And you can feel it and you kind of get like all nervous or something like that. Cause you're like, man, I I don't wanna wanna mess this up. Like I'm putting all this work, like here's my chance. Like I don't wanna drop the ball here.
2: Yeah, I feel like especially just being runners too since, cause me and I've been running since I was five. Aaron's been running since he was eight. And like when you really think of track and field and like like we did cross country too, but in Mm -hmm. cross country, like you can hide. You can hide at some point and like you can get 51st place and people won't really notice that you're in the race. But when there's eight people on the line in an 800, you can't hide from nobody. And like your time's going to show up eventually. So like those were really like performances from a young age that we've always put on. Like we were never in theater or anything like that. But I think from just even that young of an age, like we've always been performers in a sense. And like we've always wanted to put on like a good show if that just be like, not even really like for the fans because we were never pros, but being for our parents or being for mm-hmm. ourselves, and most importantly, and trying to perform to what we want want to be, and that's definitely like the energy we put to to the uh, to the broadcast. Because Aaron was going into it, he's like, "Bro, I'm trying to be the greatest right now." I'm <laughs> like, <laughs> "So I know it's not a competition, but I'm trying to be the greatest." When, when we did it, did it,
0: yeah. And going off of what you just said, Joshua, too. Like for me. I always growing up when I was running track, especially in high school, I felt like I adopted like an alter ego. I had like on my Leatherman's The Dark Knight because I always felt like, you know, when I step onto a track like this is my stage, you know, I'm coming here to like entertain, to perform on this canvas and to be able to be a part of like honoring the athletes and giving them that stage and like elevate it like, hey, you're doing something special. You're doing something special. This is an amazing feat. And that's what I really wanted to get across was like, we're excited. Like the people out here are doing amazing things. The fact that they trained for this race, flew out here, like the moves they're making, like this is theater. It's, it's, that's what sports is in reality. It's the reality television, you know, the first form. So to be able to be a part of just elevating the event and especially the athletes and make them feel special that that was really cool. That was really cool for me.
1: How did that particular opportunity come to be? Because as I understand it, you're both based in Southern California. That meet was in Kansas City, other side of the country. Let's just talk some behind the scenes and let me know how you ended up getting that opportunity to be a part of the broadcast team at the KC Qualifier.
2: Was it just a DM, Aaron?
0: Yeah, it was. It was just a. It was really just a DM. But I believe it started with you, Joshua. Because I remember you did something with Chris Chavez a couple months ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and Chris, like, Chris was like telling you about the opportunity of potentially going out to New York. When we can't, we can't do New York because of some things that happened with with Joshua's stomach and everything. But I remember Chris. You said Chris reached out to you about that, and then leading up to Kansas, it was. Who was it that reached out? Cooper, like the director of Trials of Miles, Cooper or Dave reached out to, reached out to me and was like, Hey, would you all be interested in, you know, coming out to Kansas City? And it was pretty last minute and it was tough. Cause even now, like doing the podcast, it's tough. Cause like I'm working full time at Hoka. Joshua is in school and he, and he's training and we have a lot going on, but they were able to help us, uh, get out there and do the meet and everything like we kind of went on a whim and we went through some struggles getting there but yeah it was, <laughs> that, was, that was tough and we made it happen we knew it was a great opportunity a great opportunity for us and it was something that we have always wanted to do so we just we just jumped on it and made it happen
1: from the outside looking in i don't know you guys that well at all, and I know you're still relatively early on in this, let's call it the running media game, it's one of those opportunities you, like, you can't say no to, right? You're like, if I can yeah. find a way to make this work despite all the challenges of doing it around a job and school and COVID restrictions and all yes. of that, it's like, how, how can I say, especially in an Olympic year, like, how can I say no to an opportunity like that and just to, I mean, getting your reps in, right, to, yeah. you know, to hopefully have more opportunities to do this down the road.
2: Yeah, cause like most definitely, uh, like Aaron was saying, like I still run. I run at at, at Mount Sack right now, uh, Mount Sac, uh College, and so well, not Mount Mount San Antonio College, and so I was. I had a race uh, that week, but the the meet was on May first. I had a race May second, and the 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 thing came up, and I'm all like, "Dang, I'm gonna have to miss this race." But it's all, it's always it's all already like weird because when. When this came up, like we didn't know, I didn't know that that race was gonna happen because of COVID, our schedule wasn't released or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I was all like, even if a race did come up, like I'm all like, bro, like I'm just gonna have to bite the bullet on this one. Because I, I I think it was just such a great opportunity. I already know I wasn't gonna race that much this year. Well, I'm not racing anymore at all this year, but either way, like even 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 looking at back looking at that back in retrospect, I'm all like, I couldn't miss the chance on this opportunity because I don't know who was watching, who was watching that stream. I don't know the, I don't know how the relationships that we made there at the Trials of Miles, or people seeing us there, is going to influence uh, things in the future. And honestly, it was just a great experience. Like, if we never commentate or do any of that again, like, I'm glad I was able to do that at 21 years old to just be able be able to do it and like have it, have it on. I can always look back on that on YouTube. That's what's so great about Mm -hmm. podcast and like YouTube. Like I can always look back on that. I I can get my kids one day and be all like, look at at what I did (laughs) at this one time. Like, look at that. I really, I really did that. So I think something you, yeah, you really
0: couldn't pass up on at all. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just say too, I just felt like we couldn't pass on it, but I also just knew I knew what a, a impact that we could have made. Um, and I, I just felt like I had never commentated something before going into that, but I knew we would be prepared. And I don't know. I like Joshua said, we've always been entertainers. So, and, and jo- like Joshua said too, we've been running track since we were eight and 10 years old, going to track meets. Our dad is a coach. So I could talk track for hours. And that's literally what we did for three hours straight.
1: So I want to stay on it uh, before we move on to other topics. But going into this broadcast, first time you guys are like on the team, you're on the ground doing post-race interviews for the main event, but you're calling the races on the undercard. What did things look like for the two of you in the week leading up to the event? Were you just trying to learn as much as you could about the athletes that were going to be Participating? Were you watching like clips of like Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler or some of your favorite commentators from all the sports that you've watched over the years? Be like, okay, here's how they do it. These are like some tips I'm going to try to keep in mind. Or were you just like figuring it out on the fly as you were there, not knowing what to expect?
2: Well, I would say like the Jim Ross and all that stuff, that's kind of like stored back in the brain. They'll never (laughs) really. really leave but I did watch the inside story like the a week before about okay. the NBA TNT guys I've like finished the rest of the series everybody should watch that out if you guys know about the inside in NBA like on HBO Max it's there but pretty much like the week leading up and I think Erica tested to this too like at least for like those first like probably Monday through Thursday like I was doing homework to be honest like most of the time like I was doing homework and then I was Probably about like Wednesday. That's when I started really start researching and looking, uh, looking for like uh, who's in the meets and everything. So really, when we starting off, because we have the undercard, so there's no I don't I don't really know any of these people. I well actually I don't I don't know any of them, any of them like at all. Unless like like some of the people Aaron like ran with and like w- went on his uh, club team, his club team that he ran with after college. But besides that, I know nobody. So it was really just like going to the, what's it called, TFRS, T-F-F-R-S, going on there and then trying to look uh, these people's college profile if they go to college or if they went to college. Now I'm trying to look, connect that to like Instagram or something. So now it's just like a big web to try and find some type of story. And like some people, some people were like, they have like some big story, like this dude Aiden Thompson. I still remember, Uh, I I don't remember what school he went to, but like, oh, he went to, uh, where did he go to school? Oh man. Ada. well like Aiden Thompson, like he had uh he had trouble like coming back. He's from Britain. He had trouble coming back to the US after COVID. Um uh, after COVID and wasn't sure if he was gonna ever like come back to school and stuff. So some people just had like random stories like that that you would probably never hear hear of. But like once you start searching with them and like every single person I hit the tagline like track and field and like something pops up and you're able to find them. So it's not it's not t- it's sort of tedious at times, but like it's just I don't know, you get in that rhythm too, and definitely I think definitely for me, like I'm in school right now, so like doing research is something that I have to do like yeah anyway at least right? at least once a like once a year where I have to really go in, so that's what I kind of just took it as as well
0: i I have to be honest, like I was struggling that week i ha- I was super busy at work that entire week so like I didn't really get to start researching until I met up with Joshua and Joshua already had done some beforehand and everything was really like you know going with the flow as it came because I think we agreed to go like two weeks before or a week before we had to like figure out our flights what our hotel is going to be like we're like wondering like is Joshua going to have a race? And, and all of those different things and, like, getting, getting like, the uh, start list for the undercard where there's, like, so many more people. So, there was a lot of studying done on – we got out there Thursday or Friday, Joshua? Friday, right? Yeah, Friday. Yeah, there was a lot of studying done on, like, Thursday and Friday, mostly Friday. But doing the undercard is definitely tough because, yeah, there's not those, like, standout big names. And just having – all of that stuff going on during the week was tough, but you know that's why it's it helps so much to be doing this with like my brother, you mm-hmm. know.
1: So like, already some, comfortable with one another,
0: yeah. And it, we just thought of it as like a three-hour podcast, you know. And it's just, like all you need is like a short little story, and we can I can talk to the race all day.
1: You guys did a great job. I mean, obviously, anyone who watched it could tell that you're totally comfortable with one another. Anyone who's watched you on YouTube or listened to your podcast, like that dynamic is obviously very, very natural. But I was, I was really blown away because I knew nobody on the undercard much like you did. And I was like, wow, they clearly did their homework because none of these, and this is nothing against any of the athletes at all, but they're not big names. You know, they're, they're not the marquee stars of the sport that we saw later on in, in the main broadcast where, you know, you're, Pretty well aware of what they 're doing if you look at any headlines you know throughout the course of a week or or over the course of a month, like these were up and coming folks who you know in a lot of cases aren 't even trying to hit like trials qualifiers or anything like that um, they 're just there to they 're just there to race and I think what made it really enjoyable to watch was just how much homework you guys had done ahead of time because it seemed like oh, you guys have known about these folks for like a long long time as you know as you were as you were announcing the race so just kudos to both of you on a job well done cuz i know how hard that is i mean i've you know i'm quite a bit older than both of you and i sort of paid my dues coming up the media ladder from you know answering phone calls at my old local newspaper talking to high school coaches and getting stats for games and like trying to write reports on that, you know, to doing what I, what I do now. And I know how hard like that, that grunt work is. It really is, you know, grunt work, but I think it's one, it's really valuable, but you know, two, you guys took it on as, as a challenge. I thought you knocked it out of the park for your first time on a broadcast.
2: Thank you. Appreciate that. that. Yeah. We do.
1: I want to go back to, the origins of of the running report. I mean that was the first thing that I'm aware of the two of you launched together and I'll be honest I wasn't aware of it from the very beginning. And this this will this will definitely reveal my age right here. I first became aware of your podcast and what you guys are doing when you had Michael Johnson on. And Michael Johnson is Why I got interested in track and field watching the Olympics as a 14 year old in 1996 and seeing him win double gold and the gold shoes and Mm -hmm. breaking records like I I was all in on it. And I was like this. I got to listen to this like I Michael Johnson doesn't do a lot of of interviews. And I thought it was I thought it was great, um, and it was clear to me. I'm like these two guys are track nerds. Like they know the sport inside and out. I could tell you guys were young, and I don't mean that as an insult of any sort. But I was like, they know the sport. Like they are they are definitely, like ingrained in track and field. And I'm just real curious. Like how did the running report and then eventually the two black runners podcast come to be?
2: Well, running report all derived from. Uh, a youtube channel that it used to be called uh Rosie Project so Rosie Project was I'm 21 right now the third year in college mm-hmm. so 2017 my senior year of high school my uh five other friends who are we're on this cross country team and like our team was really good like we came into senior year we're ranked number five in the nation and we're all like bro like we can go to nxn this year and being from california that's when great oak was really like killing it like every single year and like it was just like a, a great story and that's the same time when like youtube running was like getting bigger and bigger with like that's when ryan trahan was really popping off and then emma abrahamson she was doing like her thing and so like uh spencer brown was doing some of his his, his work mm-hmm. as well and then we were kind of all like, bro, we could do better than this. No cap. Like, that's how we kind of felt. And so, like, we started, like, the Rosie Project. And I was doing most of the grunt work because right before, uh, right before like, we got to, like, the postseason, I tore my meniscus. So I wasn't going to be able to, like, that's such a freak accident. Isn't that such a mm-hmm. crazy thing? I tore my meniscus so I wasn't going to be able to go to, like, State or NXN but I was like, "Oh, we can start this YouTube thing because we kept on saying we're going to start it, we said we're going to start it and we never did and we started it." And that sort of it was it was wild because I think it was because our team was so good and like we were so like different as well because our lead runner, uh Tyler Spencer, like he's this he's this short uh mixed black kid with like twisties and dreads and then Raymond Arnellis is this Uh, short Mexican kid then Matthew he's this weird six foot skinny white kid who just who's just like just just goofy like there's so many different and then we had this dude Kevin every single video I put a snake (laughs) on his face so like he would run around (laughs) with the snake on his face it was just so different and goofy that it built such like a cult following like definitely in the southern section and like uh the southern section but definitely like across the country too because we made like this elimination mile video and on YouTube now I think it has almost 500,000 uh views so like it really like blew up in high school and stuff and so that's where really like the origins came but like after like uh high school once we went all with the different colleges pretty much like they kind of stopped uploading but since I was the one I was always doing the editing And everything like I want to really keep this going and then when I was in high school I was like dang I don't really want to vlog all the time though because I don't know vlogging is it's kind of it's kind of weird you always have to show off yourself and like like you said like I've always loved track I want to bring more I want to bring more excitement to the track world like that point being a freshman in in college I was like dang I want to just I want to do something that that's able to really highlight these athletes and highlight these storylines once a month and that's why I came up with this show this little show called The Running Report and I, even at that time like I was getting all my advice like from Aaron cuz I knew Aaron like he liked Aaron was always Aaron's definitely the dude in the family that like when he comes over like arguments are going to happen like, not because like he's hard-headed <laughs> but like when we're talking about sports and anything he's very opinionated and like that's the that's the energy I wanted to bring to like The Running Report like just being able to be like first take and undisputed and bring that sort of energy to the track world that I feel like is lacking and would bring more eyes to the sport. So that's where the running report really started. Then eventually it moved on to now starting an Instagram. And then we changed the name from Rosie Project to running report. And then from then on and on, like the running report Instagram started growing and then COVID's happened. Aaron was all like, I was all like, let's start well, we we like we got to start a podcast, two black runners, and then now we're on the morning shakeout podcast.
0: That's pretty. I think that's pretty, that's pretty
2: good. Yeah, <laughs> is that pretty good, Aaron? Up? No, that's
0: oh yeah, no, that's that's pretty accurate. Um, yeah.
1: As longtime fans and followers of the sport, Joshua, you kind of just described this a minute ago. But as you were both coming up, say like high school, and certainly into college, and even into Today, when you're following the sport, you're consuming the media, what did you feel like was missing the most when you kicked off the Rosie Project now running report?
2: I feel like uh the biggest thing that was missing was uh people like us seeing faces like us in the media and that's being like African American faces Mm -hmm. and People like of diverse of diversity, because I definitely think when looking at others other sports and well, especially just like Sports Center or like Fox Sports or when you look look on NBC Sports or like College Game Day, anything like that, you always you you see a lot of black faces, and I think that's what's missing in the track world. And not saying that like, well, we like we have to get rid of every single like white face, like that's definitely not what what I'm saying or anything like that but just to the fact of, like, there's that type of influence and, well, not the influence of diversity, because when you plug in diversity into anything, like, the cooperation and the creative ideas are automatically going to go up because you get different perspectives from all these different angles and where all these different people grew up and what they look at and what they listen to. And that's just, that that's, that's elementary, you know, like, diversity is going to equal more cooperation, but especially like with sports and track and field where like African Americans, like especially when you look at the Olympics and when you look at, well not just, well just black faces when you look at the Olympics and when you look at like, cause like the sprints really power track and field and like at the, as the stars. And when you don't see those people in the media, I feel like that's just kind of like, it doesn't really make sense to me. So, I think that was definitely the thing that was most missing. I feel like if there was more people like that, if we, if we can come on here and be able to be on the media, we can maybe, even if we don't have the largest following, but if people can see us doing it, they can be inspired to do it themselves. We can start this like chain reaction and like this new community that's really trying to do this uh, new thing in the track and field media game.
1: Yeah, I mean that's why representation matters so much, um, especially amongst minorities and underprivileged people because they can't see themselves in a particular place, whether it's in the media or or just like on the track itself. I mean I I just had on this week um, two guests again, Jorge Maravilla and his partner Stephanie Howe, and Jorge was talking about how as a brown-skinned El Salvadorian not seeing people who looked like him uh and what he's trying to do now through using his platform and running and and he's in trail and ultra running where you know especially here in the u.s he stands out like quite a bit but he is hoping that other people who come from similar backgrounds him see him are like hey i want to give that a shot because if they don't they're not going to
0: yeah most definitely and just piggy going back to what joshua said it's like all about perspective really like Providing that different perspective. And I've always felt like there's been this big gap where we have, and me and Joshua are 800, 1500 guys. So we come from like that distance background. And I feel like the media on that on that mid lower level is it's ran by distance, the the distance perspective, mm-hmm. which tends to fare to be, you know, more, more white. We only see that sprint culture come out when it's auto Bullion and Sonya Richard Ross at, the Olympics. But the big piece that's missing in running media is those days of the week when it's not a race, the leading up and telling those stories. So if we want the athletes to be comfortable telling their stories and to highlight some of the stories, like maybe the distance type of person is not like thinking about, we need people that can relate to them. And we just need we just need more people at the table um, and give them, you know, power them to speak, whether It's someone who's black or Latino or even also with like women, because that's Mm -hmm. what's going to draw people from all over into the sport.
1: Yeah. And I think just looking back at the, the past year, I mean, I think one of the benefits of COVID as it relates to this sort of thing, like putting many things on pause, is we've seen more voices such as your own, such as I've been mentoring Danae Doromey of the Grounded Podcast. Um, I mean, there's so so many new forms of media in let's just call it running the this amorphous space that we call running have emerged and people of you know different socioeconomic backgrounds different races but even just different areas of interest within the sport whether it's you know track and field in the sprints coaching um you know certainly trail and ultra running type stuff or none of that at all and more just about you know the culture and, and lifestyle of it um whatever that means for them and i and I think that's going to be a, a real positive thing moving forward, especially if that momentum can keep going.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to create more opportunity. And I feel like we're already seeing like, you know, it's very encouraging to see all of these track meets like Trials of Miles or Jesse Williams at Sound Running, like trying like these different types of ways to entertain people. And I feel like this media space is a, a part of that. And maybe it becomes the thing where, We're helping market these meets where athletes get more money for going to them. We're saying like the we are the sport, you know, come together, the athletes are unionizing. So maybe they can work with the meet directors to do certain things. Uh, but I I think we're gonna see a change over the next like three to four years.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And I, I hope some of them stick. I mean, talking about just some of these meets that have popped up I've been really impressed with just some of the creativity that's gone into some of them and what opportunities that's going to create not only for the athletes but also for for the content creators but also for fans as consumers of the sport. I mean, even before official races were coming back online i mean just just seeing stuff like nas Elite and boulder track club doing like a virtual you know two mile time trial against one another yeah. like from from different environments i mean i thought that was like really interesting especially when everyone's stuck at home and the only way that we can really consume content is by is by looking at a screen um just i mean just this past weekend and this wasn't even like a gimmick but just having like dk metcalf in a hundred meter field i mean I think that was the most interesting storyline that I've seen all year in track and field. And I think more stuff like that, that is out of the ordinary that we haven't seen, it's going to help reach more people. Um, and it's just going to spur on new ideas as well.
2: Yeah, I most definitely, uh, what I really like and what I'm really excited to see is like seeing what the, Like the, what was it? The first Texas, the the Texas qualifier that that, Mm -hmm. uh, Charles Miles first did, it was mainly just distance and in the mid distance, they had the 800, but then in Kansas City, they were able to add like the 110 hurdles. And then now here at Sound Running, this track meet that's happening this weekend, it's the first time them adding uh, the 100 and then they have the 400 as well. So we're adding more sprint events to like to these events that are like streaming on YouTube and stuff like that and usually like these meets streaming on YouTube it are are very really like how Aaron was saying earlier like the media running media is definitely like on this like uh on this level that's on social media is very like distance oriented but to be able to now encourage like sprinters to now come on and watch what's going on and like now we have you can now have like this underground because I really really feel like when you're watching just like running on YouTube or just like streaming, it's sort of like the underground. And now when you're able to bring like the sprinters inside of this too, and like still have that, still have like that same and like bring their energy into, into that space as well. I think that's where we'll see the jump of track and field where like everybody's really together. And then we got to start bringing Really, the field events in here, but we got to change the game for the, how field events are are presented. Because I I think field events can really be presented well, but it's just I don't know if we don't I don't know I don't I don't think people know how to really do it or if they're they don't they don't
0: have the money for it to really present it the right way. And that's a big thing, like a big thing for me that I wanna I I always preach is like the problem with track isn't the athletes. It's not that like track is just like a boring sport and it just sucks. You know, there are people that will watch track if it's presented in a digestible format. If we tell the stories of these athletes, like this weekend at the sound running meet, they got Trayvon Vermel coming to race now. Like yeah. they're getting big names to mm-hmm. come out here for these YouTube meets. And it's entertaining watching him run a blazing nine eighty eight, you know, and his story about his Christianity and coming back from his Achilles and he's going on this on basically going on tour in America at these YouTube series meets. And you can you can build from that.
1: Yeah, I love hearing this from you guys, Um, and I think it's important that it's coming from younger guys such as yourself because I'm old and people don't want to listen to me. Um, But I've been saying for a long time that's exactly the problem with track and field. The way that it's packaged and presented has not changed in a really long time. And I think for me, as someone who's been beating that drum for a while, and I'm not taking any credit for it, that's why this past year has been really exciting because Mm. we're starting to see people do things differently because they were forced to because you couldn't you couldn't have like the super long track meet it just it it just wasn't possible um and even some of the stuff that's been happening with you know virtual races and road races whether you like them or not i mean it's the creativity element of it that i think is really important and is going to spur change and help generate excitement in the sport like i think back to when when i really got into track and field and being interested. And I mentioned earlier how it was Michael Johnson in the 96 Olympics that really got that for me. The event that I keep coming back to, and you guys are definitely too young to see this live at the time, but it was one-on-one, Michael Johnson, Donovan Bailey, 150 meters at the Sky Dome in Toronto. And I think it was a million dollars for the winner. And... All I remember is the hype leading up to the race. There was a lot of hype leading up to the race, like World's Fastest Man. Mm-hmm. Um, is, it, is it Donovan or is it, is it Mike? I was all into it, and I didn't care at all about track, but I was like, I'm really into this, and that was kind of a catalyzing moment for me. And then the race itself kind of ended up being a bust because MJ pulled up with a, with a bum hamstring. But I'm like, why haven't we seen stuff like that? In in the past, like, several years, like, let's create some rivalries here in the sport. I mean, I think some friendly trash talk is an okay thing, yeah. um, you know, that that's going to, I mean, every other sport, it, it generates headlines and it gets people interested in it. And for whatever reason, we don't see that really in track. We don't see that in running, whether it's sprints, whether it's distance. I mean, I think you know, as much as I love Elliot Kipchoge, the fact that he races once or twice a year, I don't know that that's like a great thing for the sport necessarily. I mean, I, I did think like the sub two hour marathon attempts from an entertainment standpoint and getting people interested, like, yeah, that was great. But it's like, we got to see these people more. Like we've got to have like some of these rivalries. Cause that's, I think what sustains a lot of other sports and it's, it's missing from track and field and, um, road racing, which is my particular area of interest now.
2: Yeah, and speaking of, like, on Michael Johnson, I remember when we were doing, like, our... Doing like some more research when we're uh, researching for that podcast. I remember me and Aaron were looking at when he went up against Maurice Green. It was probably the mm-hmm. literally the best track promo I ever seen. Like before the race, and they're showing them like about the face off. And like you said, like it was still I like a, this. it was still a bust. What it was, uh, Maurice Green like pulled up, it pulled yeah. up like with on uh, the two hundred. So it was, it was like it was, but it, the hype leading into it. Like I was being... I wasn't being born yet, but watching it on YouTube, I'm all like, "Oh my gosh, this is about to be like the greatest race mm-hmm. ever." But I just feel like every single time, I feel like in track, like we often still like uh, we still get this idea that like we're still like this like gentleman sport in a mm-hmm. sense, and like I can really speak to this too because Aaron, I actually, because when I was in, the, I was just in the hospital this past week, and they brought Aaron, mom and dad, they brought me the Jesse Owens movie. And I was watching like that long, like Jesse Owens movie. What's it called? The, oh, the Jesse Owens story. It's like three hours. So I was watching that, and like there, it was like Jesse Owens back in like nineteen, the the one with, with World War II. and like having 36. like ninety six. What, 30, what was it? Nineteen. No, thirty six. Ninety six. What the thirty six? Nineteen thirty six. <laughs> and like you, you have the the commentators, and they're talking about like the long jump, like it's golf and i feel like we still get into that mode in some sense that like oh we're still like this gentleman's sport where you tee up for this 100 meters for 10 seconds and let's just have the everyone be quiet and let's go with it like we this isn't really a gentleman's sport like i feel like track and field is much more comparative to boxing than it is to mm-hmm. golf like by any sense because like it's really mental it's definitely it's definitely it's not even one on one though. Like back to WWE, it's like a it's like a Royal Rumble. It's like a Fatal Four Way in some in some sense, where like you're facing yeah. so many different people and you you never know what's gonna happen.
0: Well, it's like what Mario was saying. Like the reason you were so stoked about that 150 with Michael Johnson and uh, Donovan Bailey is that hype in that promo. It wasn't mm-hmm. about the time. It was about two guys. Racing exactly. each other. They were talking, talking trash like yep. it was a boxing match. And even like this last weekend, you still see it. Like Shakari, uh, Shakari Richardson, after she finished the, uh, prelim, she, she said, we just getting started. She yelled that she came across, get hype. And there's people that were like, she needs to be more humble. You know, and it's like she's just excited, and and I think that's where there's that gap too with the sprint culture. Too. you mm-hmm. see that with that sprint culture and the distance culture, because you got like you said, DK, you got these football players. You come in from other sports. That's how we act. I mean, I I dealt with that being a distance runner. Like I was like that when I was in high school and college. If I finish the race, I'm yelling. I'm getting a hype, and coaches be like, "Bruh, you need to stop acting like that."
1: Yeah, I I think. You know and that and that 's a cultural element of it that just needs to shift and it 's certainly not going to happen overnight, but I yeah. think you know the athletes should feel like they can be themselves when they 're out there competing and i think if if and this is more of a professional criticism than you know going down to say high school or, or college level, but if the athletes themselves start thinking of themselves as performers as entertainers, um, and not just athletes. And that's, I I don't really understand like that brick wall and why so many people keep running into it. Um, I think it was like, it was like Willie Banks, like 30 years ago or something like that. He, you know, he's talking about putting butts in the seat and like, you know, getting the crowd hyped up and that his job is to, is to be an entertainer. And people have definitely talked about this and there are certainly folks in the sport who do it better than others. But, you know, by and large, we're not, We're not seeing that, and I don't know if that's an individual thing or if it's, like, taboo to behave in that way and people are afraid how you know, their sponsors are going to react or they're going to lose fans or, you know, they're not going to be invited back to meets, whatever it, whatever it's going to be. But like that stuff's like really entertaining. Um, and you see it in other sports. Like if someone throws down a big dunk or they get a touchdown, um, you know, they're going crazy. And I don't know why in, in track and field, whether it's a hundred meters or the 10,000 meters, or if it's the shot put or the, the hammer throw, like why that's just not more accepted uh, in our, in our culture overall.
2: Also, I feel like too. I think. Well, first off, number one, like I think what you said, like uh, people being themselves is like extremely important. Because I feel like if, if definitely if you try to force it, it will feel forced, and we'll be all like, "Yeah, this guy's just." Well, actually, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. I take that. <laughs> I take that. No wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think the opportunity for the athlete to really express themselves in that way and to be themselves is not really there as often. Because in like a for an NBA game, like. James Harden is getting interviewed every single time he steps off the court. So when he comes off, when he comes back and he comes back and he just has a big game and he's all like, Bro, I've I've been MVP. Like, don't you guys know I'm really good at this game? And like when when you have so many times where like you're in front of a camera, eventually, like, not that not that your mind's gonna slip and you're gonna say something that could be controversial, but it's all like I'm getting more comfortable with the camera and like everything like that, and and what's happening around me now. I feel like I can really be myself and like yeah. talk the way that I want to talk. I feel like even this, even the same like for for like a Matthew Centurions. Like the more that Matthew Centurions got faster and faster, now this man's dabbing across the line and everything, and and doing his like LeBron celebration when he was definitely like in his peak and stuff. So I think the opportunity the opportunity to do that is just not there at the moment. And that's something that we're trying to do at the Running Report to create with those more opportunities, but it's definitely going to take time.
0: And you touched on a, a lot of good points right there. Like, basically what you're saying, too, is that platform isn't always there for our athletes. And I think back to um, when we were at Trials of Miles doing the sideline interviews, so many people were complimenting us. Like, those were such great interviews. And the reason I really felt like they were great interviews is because Me and Joshua just put off an energy like you're special. You are a Mm -hmm. performer. You did something great, you know, and I think sometimes we treat our sport like an amateur sport. But if you treat these athletes as performers, as like, yo, you just did something special, you start to see them like you saw that personality come out of each interview that we gave. And I think that is a big thing that is that is missing for sure.
1: Yeah. And they need that platform. And it's so important. And I think back to a lot of what's transpired over the past year, what you guys are doing through your work. I mean, to to some degree, what I'm doing through mine and the fact that there are just more and more independent creators out there who are giving platforms and are giving voice to people who otherwise wouldn't have it. Because I worked for a major running publication for six years. And I'm not going to call out specific ones, but I mean, there's half a dozen or less, like what I would call like major endemic running publications. And even to this day, more often than not, they're highlighting, at least at the the professional level, the same people over yeah. and over and over again. Um, and now what we're seeing is, you know, maybe that, that same recognizable professional, but they're they're showing up in a lot of different places, so they're telling a different story more often than not in, in those spots. But we're seeing people who, you know, otherwise wouldn't get, wouldn't get a platform um, because the major publications aren't going to shine a light on them. And, and I think that's what's really interesting about, you know, the, the space right now is there are more platforms, but there are also more people whose stories are, are getting out. And I think if I, had to, if I had to forecast, like, people talk about growing the sport – all the time that's how you're going to grow it um just by you know as we talked about earlier representation the more representation that we have the more people are going to see other folks who look like themselves and the more apt they're going to be to follow that person follow the sport and participate
2: most definitely yeah. and one thing that one thing that uh low-key frustrates me but lets me know that the sport is going in the right direction is this account uh highlighter it uh on Instagram. It's ran by Bleacher Report. And I'm all like, dang, they post a lot of track on here. It's like all just like, it's all just girls running, like women's running and like, not women's running, like women's sport. And they really highlight that. And then I'm all like, I'm looking at their account and like Tara Davis just breaks the collegiate record. And I go onto it, I go, like she just broke it. Like I just watched it or whatever. I just saw the result. And then I just go right onto my Instagram. I'm like, highlighter breaks this news too. I'm all like, wow, like it, that, that's awesome. That's awesome to see. Cause I know there's going to be a lot of women who follow this account as well, who are going to be looking at Tara Davis. And then Shakari Richardson's also on this account. And like, when they like, hammer throwers and everything are on this account as well. Like, I'm seeing this sport grow right in front of my eyes, but I'm all like, dang, we should be posting this too. Like, they're, they're beating us. They're beating us. But it's so awesome to see that, like, uh, that more representation is definitely going to matter. And, like, I'm I really I'm a really big believer in definitely, like, getting, like, more, more highlighting, like, the, the sprinters and, like, the long jumpers mm-hmm. and everything because I just feel like they're definitely – not seen as much on Instagram. And and if you're able to really bring them into sport and make them the nerds that the distance runners constantly are in track and field, like track and field can get to that level that, that we, that we can be on the ESPN top 10 every single week. You know,
1: both of you came up in what I would call the YouTube generation. We talked earlier about how in the past several months we've seen more meets and we're going to continue to see more meets live streamed on YouTube for free. And I'd love to get both of your thoughts on whether or not like coverage like that can grow the sport and bring more eyeballs to it or is it just going to cater to the hardcore fans who are looking for a way to watch these events.
0: I think like one thing I was just getting ready to say too is like I think we're living in a time right now in track and field whereas we've been reiterating, you know, perspective is continuing to grow. We're hearing more of these stories. And as that perspective grows, you know, that's drawing more people in. So all this new people that are coming in or that are seeing people like Eric Holt, you know, race at the trials of miles um, and stuff like that, or people seeing like the carbon X, the carbon X Two, like ultra event, those people being brought in. So those people are being brought in at the same time, we're creating new stages for you to view these athletes. So I I think that we don't need, like, NFL fans to become track fans. Like, I believe that there are actual track fans out there. Like, for example, how you were saying you got into track watching Michael Johnson run that run that 150, you know, I feel like if we continue, this media space continues to grow, they'll grab the attention of... Because track is like the number one sport in high school. Mm-hmm. But like growing up running track my whole life, I have roommates, you know, that that run track or trying to go pro. They don't know anything. They don't know anything. They don't follow the sport. There's so many people that run track that just don't follow it. And I think we have to target those people. And I think this YouTube, this YouTube wave maybe... And now it's like you're seeing already... Um, Sound Jesse is now moving up to ESPN. So I think that those people that is drawing in, I think those are the people that we need to continue to bring in more and more because I feel Mm -hmm. like there is a lot there.
1: I don't disagree at all. I think think you're spot on about that. It is the biggest participatory sport at the high school level. And not everyone goes on to compete beyond that. But to your point, they're – probably not paying attention to the sport unless they're a diehard beyond the olympics and and let's be honest even then you know unless it's a usain bolt grabbing headlines or something along those lines you know they're probably just watching basketball instead because you know that's what's getting prime time on tv but we need to capture that audience and and keep them captured i think for for several years to grow you know lifelong fans of the sport that you know don't stop paying attention after high school or whatever it happens to be.
0: I've honestly seen I was going to say I don't mean seeing like friends of mine that have followed the running report that I ran with like in college and they never really kept up with track at all, but since starting this page, mm-hmm. they know who these athletes are now. Like people in our family like Maybe they ran track in high school or in college. So they understand like it a little bit, Mm -hmm. but now they're seeing, they're knowing the stories. They're like, Oh yeah, like Ajay Wilson, she was on that podcast. She's that girl. That's the number one and the eight. Like this is cool. So when you see her race, you know, you might, you're more likely to, to tune, to tune in because you already know like something cool about her that. That like, just like in the NBA, like, you know, LeBron James opened up a school and does all these amazing things or someone that's just like Kevin Durant, super active on Twitter, you know, so you, you end up like, I don't know, I just feel like those things are what's going to power like the people that actually like track, like, I don't know, I don't, I just don't, I really disagree with like, the way of like, oh, like, we need to get like basketball people to watch track. And it's like, no, we have, we have people. They'll come if we build it.
2: And I really feel like the the YouTube meets that we're seeing right now. I think they're they're not the end all be all. I think they're the start to to something bigger. And if that something bigger is for the trials of miles, if it be if it always be three like a triple crown meet every single year, where it is still like Texas, Kansas, or New York every single year, they switch it up. Like that ends up being uh a, a ESPN like track series or Fox Sports or NBC track series or if the American Track League continues to be on YouTube uh, t- continues to be on ESPN but they always have these under the lights that are not on YouTube but now for this pay-per-view mm-hmm. I really do think that the YouTube track meets is going to springboard to something bigger because after seeing like the first like Texas qualifier especially like with the commentators of, of Chris and Kyle, I was like, bro, this this feels like early That's X it. Games. Like when you when you uh, watch like the X Games, like very yep. early on with like Tony Hawk in the very beginning or even just the X Games and the X Games, they really bring that same energy from then on to now. But it has the X Games really just started from there and it was able like to develop into like this real just like global thing and every and now skateboarding's in the Olympics so like I really feel like you're able to you're able with these YouTube meets you're going to be able to build this cult audience because people love YouTube like like you said growing up as a YouTube generation like people really do love YouTube like a lot of what Uh, my generation consumes is like through YouTube and like Twitter and Instagram, but especially like YouTube being like that base to everything. I think you're gonna be able to build that cult following to where like they're never they're never gonna leave. They're always gonna be wondering when's the next Trials and Miles event,
1: when's the next sound running. I think you're on the money with that. And there's been a bit of debate over the last couple of months whether or not these youtube meets are sustainable or if they're worthwhile cuz they do cost quite a bit of money to produce and they need to get sponsors but sponsors have stepped up you know and people have shown that they're willing to pay you know the sound running meet that's going to start tomorrow it's 5.99 and i love that model because i don't want to pay you know 50 bucks a year to maybe yeah. watch like one meet on a on another network and that's a different discussion but what these things are to your point is a vehicle and i think if they show that there 's traction there, and that people are passionate about watching you know these meets wherever they pop up whenever they pop up i mean that is i mean espn 's already paying attention they 're going to pay more attention when they see that there 's a viable audience there yeah that if you know there 's a bigger meet with these same stars on a national network like those same fans and more are going to go watch that, uh, and that's valuable for them. And I think that's how the sport really elevates its its profile and professionalizes itself in a lot of ways.
0: And yeah, when you when you think about it, like male is male is racing, mm-hmm. the number one hundred meter runner, maybe the Olympic champion this of this year is racing at the, on YouTube. And I think back to me, for me, like. I feel like I come since I'm 26, so I think back for me, it was Flow Track when I was coming up in high school. You know, that's where they're like, "Yo, you should check out this Workout Wednesday on Flow Track," and I felt like it really like grew from like 2000, like eight to like 12. People were so into it. All of these like it was like distance nerds, but you see what Flow Track is now. And you can stream YouTube on your TV now. Like that's what everybody does. It's just the app that you have it on there. And what are high schoolers watching? They're watching YouTube. So you can get all these young all these young fans into track and they're gonna they're gonna tell their friends like, hey, like, we should watch this meet. Trayvon Bermel, since Matthew Central is the Olympic champion, is racing. Craig Ingalls is here, you know? So I think they're Is a lot of traction and maybe it'll move to ESPN, but YouTube is like, it's like cable, like all these new apps, Hulu, YouTube, like people just have them on their TV anyways. A
1: few more things that I want to touch on with the two of you in the remaining time that we have. We've talked a little bit about culture over the course of this conversation, like on your website, all your communications, you say the running report is a track and field media outlet produced for the culture and by the culture. And for me, like when I think of culture in the general sense, it's the manifestation of, you know, this is who we are and this is what we do. And I'd love to get some perspective from both of you on what does culture mean to you and what does it look like in track and field and running right now?
2: Well, I'll first uh, start off with just like explaining what we really mean, like through, through that mantra of just fact of like, of definitely, uh, emphasizing the two cultures and the one culture of just being like being cuz uh black culture or just even the black community and like what we what we've done uh in in society in a sense especially through like hip hop and through movies and through pop culture a lot of times it's referenced as just like the culture and what they've done, so it's being just like that culture, and then bringing that face of diversity into the track world, and being produced by that. I feel like it's definitely different in the running media world because even though we are really small, like, and like when in the grand scheme of things, like we're a running media outlet, we're a running media outlet that's black owned. That's that's pretty. That's that's not really. Mm-hmm. That's unheard of. You know, that's doesn't really. That's not that common especially in this time. But then also in the culture of runners as well. So being produced for the culture, being produced by the culture as in in black culture, but then also just as runners. Cause like you said, like being five years old, start me starting when I was five, Aaron starting when when he was eight. Like we have been the running game for, for so long. We love this sport. We've had runners hanged up on our walls. Like we have our, we hanged up our medals and everything like, running is, is what we do like that's the number one sport that we watch and we engage in and we just love sports and running so like bringing that perspective and making that perspective like a priority that running perspective a priority like I know we have to be entertainers and at some point like you have to you at some point you're trying to like uh like, be clickbait or something or whatever, but it's all, like, you're still, we still have the perspective of the runners, because I'm all, like, bro, I sometimes, I'm, sometimes I'm, like, I can't do that. That's too harsh. Like, I know the work that they put in, like, you know what I mean? So, I'm all, like, still having the perspective of the runner and trying to tell their story and make sure that it's always clean and correct is, is what we always
0: want to do as well. Yeah, like, produce for and by the culture and One thing, too, is like me and Joshua were produced by the culture. We are a product of the culture um, because, yeah, we are two. We're two black runners, as simple as that. So what you see is produced by the culture. And we want to continue to push, you know, that black culture forward. One thing I'm big on, too, is just like showing like I don't believe I'm not a sprinter, but there's not this sprint culture. Um, And I feel like sometimes black culture is, you know, not as accepted in in track and field, like getting hyped after a race or things like that. So I want to open up that door there and I want to show like I work for Hoka and there's not there we we do a lot of great things there but there's not a lot of people that that look like me there. And I, I want more people to to realize hey like you know athletes like growing up as a track and field athlete like hey there's these opportunities with all of these brands where you can work as well and you're, you being a product of the culture, you're going to draw more people in. It's that reputation thing, that representation thing. You're going to draw more people in that look like you and that can have an effect on how track and field is or just the running culture in general. Um, but another aspect of it is like what we're doing is for the culture. Like it's not ultimately about, you know, trying to get money. We want to push the track and field culture forward. We want it to be more entertaining, want to be more fun. We we're doing this for the for the athletes and both being athletes before, we understand those struggles. And I don't know, I'm really big on like I really believe track and field is a stage. It's an amazing sport. Um but the culture just needs to be continually just needs to be developed and advanced so we can showcase that. And that's that's the mission. That's the mission and it's something that it's not about, you know, getting subscriptions or anything. It's literally like we're really genuine about we just want to push the culture culture forward and make, make track of more of a mainstream sport.
1: I love it. Last question. As of this conversation, the last episode of the Two Black Runners podcast came out about a month ago. I think it was a month ago yesterday. And it was basically a, a year-long Season, so to speak. Um, you guys tried to release a new episode every week. I think you felt like just short of that, but got out like 51 episodes or so. I know at the end of that last episode, you talked about a season two coming soon. And I'd love to get some perspective from both of you on when we can expect that, what it might look like, uh, what's going to remain the same, and how it's going to evolve moving forward.
2: I think. Number one, uh, the definitely the season I think is definitely gonna get pushed back a little bit more. We wanted to go start going like again like soon, but since uh, everything that happened happened with me right now, I think it's definitely gonna take a minute to where we're gonna have to. Cause i I'm not I, I I I'm able to talk this long. I'm actually I'm I'm surprised I'm doing this good, but uh, uh, I think uh, it's it's definitely gonna get pushed back a little bit to where we're gonna start the next season but just in the fact of just what we're going to definitely see I think I think you were, I think number one thing that you're going to see is how we've grown as people in a sense especially not I mean, just from that month but like us starting that when I was I was 20 and Aaron was 25 and now we're definitely like still young but like we're growing so much so I think the growth of just like how our conversations and how our questions are going to be from then is going to be so much better going into this next season, and I'm so excited to be able to get to there, get to that point because I think the interviews are going to be awesome and like how we how we interact is going to be awesome as well because we're going to like I, it's, I feel like there's going to be so much hype built up to these Olympics and like when they happen and be able to have those conversations with Olympic hopefuls that you hope to be seen like in Tokyo and getting those stories. So everybody's that listening to season two of Black, the two Black runners, it's going to be all like, you're going to be listening to athletes that you're literally going to be seeing on TV. And those are going to be inspiring stories and people that you're going to be able to really attach yourself to, just like a sports team. Once you get to see them in the 400 meter hurdles, the 400, uh, the 800, the mile or anything like that. I think it's going to be really exciting once we get there.
0: I'm also super excited to, you know, have reoccurring guests, you know, to bring on like Delia Muhammad after she's ran the Olympics, you know, and just to already have like that relationship established mm-hmm. from a time we have spoken before. And yeah, we're going to, we're seeing them grow and perform and they're seeing us like continuously do our thing with all like, that's, what's really interesting to me. Whenever we hit a road, a roadblock, which we have hit many in this past year, it's just like, I just, you know, just look at it like, hey, this is just a part of our story. So like, I'm excited, you know, that all of our story is on record on these podcasts. And I think especially this year, with everything we faced, and just everything that just went on in 2020, and and some of the stuff we had to face in 2021, You know, there's episodes where like we have episodes that are called like for the real ones. And it's just me and Joshua talking. So Mm -hmm. you really do like you really do get to like uh, know us. And yeah, you're going to see a lot of our growth. And I think we'll bring on athletes that are our listeners as well. Or they just been on the show before and they're going to be like, man, I remember when y'all had this many people or like when this happened. Like I can't believe y'all are still doing that. So I'm really excited for that aspect as well.
2: And I think we'll have more for the real ones uh, episodes as well. Just be able to like to check in every single month because sometimes it be it be getting hard to get guests. But I think for the real ones is so important. Just the the reminder that we are just like two black runners and be able to dive into like some running news and just really like those deep conversations of just that's not really just happening on the track but also also things that are happening off the track like maybe a conversation about and mother and like what they're doing right now with uh sponsoring the these, uh yeah like we are in sports too as well like having those conversations as well with just the two black runners and mm-hmm. that perspective i think is going to be important as well so for, more for the real ones episodes are definitely coming as well
1: well I love it. I love what the two of you are doing. I think you've got a great mix of the for the real ones where you guys can talk about whatever you want, really, whether it's issues in the sport races that have just happened, what's going on with the two of you, but then also just giving a voice to some of these other athletes, whether they're sprinters, field event folks, middle distance, long distance runners. It's necessary. It's Overdue your energy and enthusiasm for this. It's amazing and contagious. I mean, it certainly resonated with me and I'm glad that I found your work. I hope more people find it through this podcast. Uh, keep up what you're doing. I'd love to have you both back on because I feel like there's so much more that I'd like to get into with both of you just in terms of you know your background in the sport, like what you guys are doing as as athletes um you know aaron just working at you know a major brand within the running industry and what that's like as as a black man i mean there's just there's just so much more i think we need like two or three more hours for it but i'll let you go for now and i thank you so much for coming on the morning shakeout podcast
2: i appreciate you it was an honor thanks for having us on
1: All right, thank you so much for listening in to the Morning Shakeout podcast. A big thank you to both BOA and Picky Bars for sponsoring this episode of the show. BOA wants you to get dialed in, locked in, and connected to the trail in the new BOA-powered La Sportiva Cyclone. Available in men's and women's sizes, every aspect of the shoe is engineered to deliver revolutionary fit and performance on the trail, and it was designed and tested in BOA's state-of-the-art performance fit lab to improve running efficiency and reduce landing impact. BOA is exclusively offering four morning shakeout listeners the opportunity to win a free pair of the Cyclone, and you can enter at boafit.com. Com slash Mario. That's B-O-A-F-I-T dot com slash Mario. Picky Bar's products are made with real ingredients that I can pronounce and recognize, and there's a peace of mind that comes with not second-guessing what I'm putting into my body. The bars are a go-to for me before a run and even when I'm just out running errands, particularly the Ah Fudge Nuts flavor, and I can't get enough of the PB&J All Day Granola in my yogurt. If you want to try some picky products for yourself while supporting the podcast, go to pickybars.com slash Mario and enter the code Mario at checkout to save 20% off your purchase of 25 bucks or more. You can also join the picky club at that link, which is a subscription service, and save 20% off your first box with the code Mario. Super easy, amazing offer. Take advantage of it while you can at pickybars.com slash Mario. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to subscribe to the show. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me couple more things before we wrap up. I'd like to give a shout out as always to my longtime producer, John Summerford, who makes every episode of the podcast sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for running the AM Shakeout social media accounts and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Last thing, if you are digging this podcast, I think you will love my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout, and you can subscribe to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Every Tuesday morning, you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to. It's a quick read, five, ten minutes tops, but it will give you plenty to think about throughout the rest of the week. Again, you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast.